This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. A lawyer for Donald Trump signed a statement in June declaring that all classified material held at Mr. Trump's home in Florida had been returned to the government, according to the New York Times. But on August 8th, federal agents reportedly removed 11 sets of classified documents, including material marked top secret. The warrant to search Mr. Trump's home was issued because America's Department of Justice said it believed the former president violated the Espionage Act, which prohibits the possession or transmission of national security information. Sir Salman Rushdie, a Booker Prize-winning novelist who was stabbed as he was about to deliver a lecture in upstate New York, has been taken off a ventilator and is able to talk, according to his agent. A 24-year-old man from New Jersey has been charged with attempted murder. Sir Salman has lived under the threat of violence since his fourth novel, The Satanic Verses, was published in 1988. Some Muslims thought it blasphemous. Iran's then-leader, Ayatollah Ruhollah Khomeini, called for his death. Vladimir Zelensky Ukraine's president said that Russian troops who fire at the Zaporizhia nuclear plant will become special targets. Russia seized the facility, Europe's largest, in March. Mr. Zelensky claimed that Russian soldiers were hitting Zaporizhia as an act of provocation and were also firing missiles at Ukrainian forces from within its compound. At least seven people were injured, some seriously, after gunmen opened fire near the Western Wall in Jerusalem. Israeli police are treating the incident as terrorism. Last week, a ceasefire was agreed between Israel and Palestinian Islamic Jihad, a militant group, after several PIJ leaders were killed by Israeli drones. It is unclear whether the events are linked, but tensions have been high. Saudi Aramco, one of the world's biggest oil producers, posted record profits for the second quarter running. High oil prices pushed income to $48.4 billion in the second quarter, up 90% year-on-year. Saudi Arabia and other members of OPEC, a cartel of oil producers, have been slow to increase production, despite requests from the West in an effort to lower soaring energy costs. Germany's energy network regulator said the country must cut gas use by 20%, to avoid shortages this winter. The government, meanwhile, said public buildings will turn down thermostats in winter to 19 degrees Celsius, 66 degrees Fahrenheit. The looming crisis stems from curtailed flows of Russian gas to Germany, seemingly in retaliation for European sanctions on Russia. And with around 30% of votes counted in Kenya's presidential election, Raila Odinga has a six-point lead over William Ruto, according to the country's election commission. Mr Odinga is on his fifth presidential bid, having probably been cheated out of the win at least once. Counting of the vote, which took place on Tuesday, has been painfully slow. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Rushdie in hospital after attack Sir Salman Rushdie, an Indian-born British novelist, has faced hardship because of his work. Some Muslims judged The Satanic Verses, the author's fourth novel published in 1988, as blasphemous. 
Iran called for his death, forcing him into hiding. In recent years, the threat had seemed to ease, and he spent much of his time in America. On Friday, in upstate New York, he was stabbed multiple times on stage. Sir Salman is on a ventilator and may lose an eye, according to his agent. The suspected attacker, a 24-year-old man from New Jersey, has been charged with attempted murder. His motive is unknown. Hardline Iranian newspapers have praised his actions. Security at the Chautauqua Institution, the arts education center where the attack took place, was light, according to witnesses. Sir Salman had been due to speak on the topic of America as a home for freedom of expression. In 2017, he told The Economist that, quote, It's only when somebody tries to gag you that you really begin to believe in free speech. Run Ron? The Appeal of Ron DeSantis On Sunday, Ron DeSantis, Florida's Republican governor, will speak at a rally for his party's gubernatorial candidate in New Mexico, Mark Ronchetti. It is just one stop on a national tour that Mr. DeSantis is embarking on to support other candidates, including those backed by Donald Trump, rather than focusing on his own campaign. It is a show of party unity that Mr. DeSantis is spending his time stumping for other candidates, but it also raises questions about his own ambitions. Should Mr. Trump not make a presidential bid in 2024, Mr. DeSantis would be the likely Republican frontrunner. In a straw poll of attendees at the Conservative Political Action Conference in Dallas released last week, 69% of people said they preferred Mr. Trump as the candidate in 2024. Mr. DeSantis came in second with 24%. Mr. DeSantis may be calculating that, for now, it is better to shore up his popularity with Trump supporters. After all, at only 43, he is easily young enough to wait until 2028. The European Championships Find Strength in Numbers Sports fans waking up in Munich on Sunday are spoiled for choice. Fancy breakfast in the Olympia Park while watching a triathlon? Or how about track cycling at the Neue Messe München? Or table tennis at the Audi Dome? Until August 21st, Munich is hosting an experiment. The associations of nine sports, including athletics, beach volleyball, canoeing, cycling, gymnastics, rowing, sport climbing, triathlon, and table tennis, have decided to run their European tournaments in tandem in a single city. The idea is that these smaller sports have a better chance of commanding bigger audiences if they work together. That makes sense. After all, the Olympics is more than the sum of its parts. But the European Championships also wants to avoid some Olympic-sized pitfalls. It chose Munich because no new tourist facilities or venues needed to be constructed. Consequently, its budget is around 1% of Tokyo's 2020 Olympics. It is a lean, efficient approach that could catch on. Why Thinking Hard Exhausts Your Brain Mental exhaustion is a strange sensation. Not quite drowsiness, but an inability to think straight. The body may feel fine, yet the brain wants to do little more than watch television. Researchers writing in Current Biology, a journal, went in search of a psychological basis for this frazzled feeling, and may have found one. 
For over six hours, 24 volunteers performed difficult mental problems that required intense cognition. Another group was given easier versions. Their brains were scanned throughout the mock workday, which suggested that mental graft induced the buildup of a neurotransmitter called glutamate in the forebrain. As glutamate can be toxic, it seems the brain has to limit cognition to avoid an overload. The industrious volunteers' decision-making also changed. They began to favor instant rewards over delayed gratification. Your brain on energy saver mode should be spared important decisions. After a stressful day in the office, some mindless channel surfing may be just what it needs. Weekend Profile Robert Habeck, Germany's Energy Hero Olaf Scholz may be Germany's chancellor, but to many, the man of the hour in Berlin is Robert Habeck, his vice chancellor and minister for economy and climate change. This is not just because the senior most green in the three-party ruling coalition pips his boss in the polls. Since this government took office in December, Mr. Habeck has consistently been named the country's most popular politician. It is also because his job as Energy Supremo puts the chatty, studiously casual 52-year-old on the front lines of the biggest crisis Germany has faced in a generation. By most accounts, Mr. Habeck has done well. Russia's invasion of Ukraine in February placed Germany in a dilemma. Decades of misguided policy had hooked Europe's biggest economy on Russian fossil fuels. Pipelines from Siberia supplied 55% of its natural gas. But with a mix of charm, money, and deal-making, Mr. Habeck has helped shield Germany from potential blackmail by trimming gas use and finding new suppliers. Enhancing his reputation for pragmatism, some would say lack of principle, the vice-chancellor muted his green beliefs to reignite mothballed coal-fire power stations. A similar nose-holding green light may also keep Germany's last three nuclear power plants open. They were due to close in December as part of a long-standing plan to scrap nuclear power. Polls show even a majority of green voters realize that, right now, that would be stupid. Mr. Habeck, who hails from Germany's northernmost state, Schleswig-Holstein, earned a Ph.D. in literature before entering politics. But it is his trademark three-day stubble, preference for open-necked shirts, and penchant for blunt honesty that seem to please voters. He has also won points for working smoothly with Annalena Baerbock, the foreign minister, whose choice as the Greens' candidate for chancellor in last year's election was tough on Mr. Habeck, by his own admission. But the easygoing manner disguises a sharp statesman. Visiting Ukraine last summer, Mr. Habeck suggested supplying the country with defensive weapons. Rivals from left, right, and center called him irresponsible. Who looks silly now? The winners of this week's quiz. Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners chosen at random from each continent were Asia, Mary Lou Cristobal, Montenlupa City, Philippines. North America, Ron Tugood, Moncton, Canada. Central and South America, Kelso Covre, Brasilia, Brazil. Europe, Bernd Arne Odegaard, Fityar, Norway. Africa, Christine Ryder, Tunis, Tunisia. Oceana, Andrew McMenamin, Lincoln, New Zealand. They all gave the correct answers of John Mitchell, L.L. Bean, Joseph Conrad, Steve Irwin, and Lance Armstrong.
The theme is astronauts who walked on the moon. Edgar Mitchell, Alan Bean, Pete Conrad, James Irwin, and Neil Armstrong. And visit the Espresso app for our new weekend crossword, designed for experienced cruciverbalists and newcomers alike. Finally, here's the quote of the day from H.G. Wells, who died on August 13, 1946. We all have our time machines, don't we? Those that take us back are memories, and those that carry us forward are dreams. That's the World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.